Welcome to Discovery with Babbitt Ranches. Discovery is all things cowboy essence, people at their best, accomplishing extraordinary achievements. What you're hearing is a pressurized moon rover and the sound of space exploration history being made on Babbitt Ranches. NASA, Japan Space Program, JAXA, and the U.S. Geological Survey have been conducting drills from a space camp of sorts that they have set up near Spiderweb Camp and Black Point Lava Flow. They are preparing for humankind's next giant leap with the Artemis missions. Goals include putting humans at the lunar south pole, creating a lunar gateway, a space station in orbit around the moon, taking a crew to Mars, and all the while, carrying with them a land-use ethic like we have on Babbitt Ranches. To be on the precipice of something so monumental is just huge. So this is 50-plus years now that the USGS and NASA and Babbitt have been together. We'll hear more from research geologist Jim Skinner about training for the Artemis missions in a moment. But first, Discovery with Babbitt Ranches acknowledges the United States Geologic Survey in Flagstaff. Working to make accurate maps of other worlds, broadening our science knowledge through space missions, and promoting a land use ethic from Babbitt Ranches to the moon and beyond. And now back to our conversation with Jim Skinner. Jim has been involved with NASA's Desert Rats research and technology studies for more than a decade as engineers, astronauts, and technicians test equipment like the moon rover out on the Babbitt Ranches. Previously, the Apollo astronauts were in this very area working with my grandfather, ranch manager John Babbitt, testing his much less sophisticated moon buggy for their historic missions. So many times we're standing on the shoulder of giants. So many people have done this before us, and to sit here and be able to do it again, it's like full circle. It's coming from Apollo and all the things that happened with Apollo, and then coming back around and doing the same thing again. I'm right here, I'm looking at the rover with the peaks in the background, and it's just amazing that I am a part of this. I'm happy to play my small role. To be on the precipice of something so monumental is just huge. And there are so many people that are here doing so many different components of this. And I mean, the science is just one component and getting them there safely and back is another component. Jim Skinner, along with Lauren Edgar, also a research geologist with USGS and Flagstaff, pre-planned the paths the test rover would take as American and Japanese astronaut crews practiced drills, and spent two and a half days at a time living in the vehicle. They also worked with teams testing the latest spacesuits out on the landscape and exploring in the dark to help them prepare for the low lighting conditions that astronauts will encounter at the Lunar South Pole, a mission planned for 2025 or 2026. And so the rover is following a pre-planned traverse, and when they go EVA, meaning their extravehicular activity, they're getting out of the rover, and two crew members are walking around with backpacks on, and they are following different traverses. And so we were planning the traverses with our science cohort from back in Houston, and Laura and I were here, and we were paying attention to what the crew was seeing. So when they were describing things from inside the rover, when they were IVA, meaning they were intravehicular activities, we were watching what they were describing, how accurate it was, what they could see, what they couldn't see. And then when they got out of the rover and they were walking around, there were three or four different stations and they would walk up onto the rock outcrop and make observations. They had about 15 or 20 minutes at each station 
which is a pretty condensed amount of time compared to what we might do as geologists in the field. When they would walk away, Lauren and I would walk up to the outcrop and actually see what they were seeing and did they miss anything? Were there crystals in the volcanic flow that they might have missed that would give a key observation to what that flow was? And there are things that they are missing and we have to understand is that are they missing it because of the lighting conditions? We're doing it at night. They can't see as much as they would like to see. Were they missing it because of training or the map products or the lights on the rover or they didn't have enough time? All those things we accumulate and talk about and then we feed that forward into the NASA planners so they can change the technologies and the mission architecture to capture everything that they possibly can. With that being said, if you were to contrast or compare, what would you see here, for example, on CO bar as opposed to maybe what they will see when they get to the moon? We talk about analog work and that's what Lauren is in charge of. We find analog locations on the earth so that we can compare them to the moon and Mars. And the thing is, is that there's no perfect analog. And so there might be an analog for communication scenarios and hills where you might not be able to communicate around. There might be analogs for the geologic units that you would see. So we find the best analog for whatever is being tested. In these situations, they're testing everything. And so this is a perfect analog because it has the volcanic flows. It's got the older rocks. It's got a diversity of volcanic materials. It's got a lot of sediment cover. And so the moon is almost 98% covered in regolith. That means just material that has been pummeled through millions and billions of years. And so it is it's like flour over the surface. And so there's rocks and flour distributed everywhere. Rarely do we see rocky outcrop. There might be distributed boulders, but most of the lunar surface is powdered material and regolith and out here we do have that material we see gravel underneath the gravel we have light tone materials that are broken down pieces of the volcanic rock as well as the sedimentary rocks and so we have a little bit of everything even the vegetation is getting in the way of geologic observation but that's a good analog for the observations that they'll be making on the moon because it's covered up the observations that they'll make on the moon are going to be distributed rocks and boulders as well as gravels and pummeled materials so it's called comminuted materials just been busted up into in tiny little particles rarely will we see rocky outcrop it might be on the edge or on the interior of an impact crater but out here is as good an analog as we can get because we have those distributed uh, materials across the surface and then we have the volcanic material as well is there a difference between what the moon is made of the powder and all that mm -hmm. kind of thing from being pummeled but then from the asteroids or the meteors coming in are differentiating between the two yes and so that would be something that would be key for us to determine. That's not something you would be able to do from orbit. So there's a lot of spacecraft that are around the moon and they are accumulating data that we use to make the geologic maps to tell the astronaut and crew where they want to go. There should be impact or material that has been fragmented and redistributed across the surface of the moon. And so yeah. along with the ejected material, which is the target material that was already there, it would be possible and maybe even likely in some situations that astronauts might be able to find fragments of impacted like the impactor material itself, along with the material that's been ejected. Well, interesting. Okay, let's back up just a little bit. So the purpose of Desert Rats and their work and the Artemis mission, how does all that come together? In other words, this all goes together, right? Artemis and Desert Rats would be symbiotic in their learning on what they're going to be doing when the mission Artemis goes, right? How do we get from here to there? Yeah, so this is a long time coming. The last time that we were out here doing this, we being um, NASA and the USGS, was about 12 years ago. And that was during a period when there was Constellation. And Constellation was a, an initiative to get back to the moon. And because of politics and different things that happened, that was canceled and migrated into something else. And this is the reformulation of that. So the Artemis missions are the reformulation of Constellation and all those efforts. And so that's why we're coming back out here now. And that's why there is that hiatus. 
So this is just one part of a technology test that is looking at the components that are necessary to send people back to the moon safely. We want to get them there, certainly, and most importantly, we want to get them back. While they're there, they should be making observations, scientific observations, so that we understand the evolution and the history of the moon. And so this is one of a massive suite of components that go together to build onto existing technologies and refurbished technologies and new technologies as we make this next step to the moon. My role in this is the science aspect of it. We're going to go there and we need to be getting science out of it and it needs to be the best science that we can get. We're only there for a limited amount of time and we need to make sure that over the four or five hours that they're there on the surface for Artemis 3, we can get a massive amount of data, as much as we can, and what they bring back we can put into place with the geologic maps and understand what we're seeing. So our role in this, as far as the USGS and science, is one tiny little sliver of the enormous aspect of technology development, rovers and pressurized suits and terrain vehicles and all the training that goes into the astronaut crew that's actually going to go. There's a massive amount, and so it feels nice to be a part of that. It feels nice to have a lot of that be centered on the good crew of people that we have here in Flagstaff. I love it that they come out here and that you guys have this relationship that we are allowed to be on Babbitt land because it comes full circle. So this is 50 plus years now that the USGS and NASA and Babbitt have been together and it's great to see the pictures. If you turn in some of these pictures that we've taken out here black and white and put them right next to the pictures that they took when they were working out on the Bonita flow, they look identical. It's the same kind of thing. With regard to Babbitt's, we have We've been striving towards this land use ethic and it evolves, right? Mm -hmm. But it's really trying to describe an awareness, a sense of responsibility, obligation and accountability for our impacts and activities with the environment and the land itself. So you and I got together and we talked about this a little bit and you went and visited out with NASA and some of the other folks about blending the land use ethic here on Babbitt Ranches Mm -hmm. and, and our efforts there with the efforts that, you know, probably should be in place for future missions to space. So how'd that all roll out for you guys having the visit? Yeah, I love having that, and I think that it really resonated. So when we do the safety debrief with everybody that comes out here, one of the first things that we do is we present them with the banner that we're calling it now that we have for Babbitt Ranches, and it's really remarkable to have that kind of as a backdrop and is there the whole time. And then we talk about the relationship that we've had for decades now and how important it is to maintain that relationship, but most importantly is to be aware of what we're doing while we're out here. So the efforts that we are putting into making sure that this is a successful test need to be moved forward. So we cannot treat the land here in any different way than we would be treating the land as we move forward. And I think that that's a special perspective. It resonates with a lot of people. Even when I was reading it out, I could see people just nodding and understanding that this is something that we need to be paying attention to. And I think it really does put things into perspective. We're going somewhere new. We have an expectation of what that's going to be, but we're not going to be exact and we're exploring. And as we explore, we need to hold on to the same land stewardship and honor and responsibility and respect that we have for this place here. And I think that it resonates with a lot of people. It resonates with me for sure. And I've been happy to be a part of that kind of perspective. And we'll certainly latch onto that and and keep with that as we move forward and talk about it. And I really feel that that is ultimately that thread between Babbitt's and USGS Mm -hmm. and the others that you're working with. It's meaningful and anyhow, very special, especially when you consider the next generation and their efforts and all the look back and say, hey, these guys were mindful. 
I like it because we don't know what the perspective of the next generation yeah. is going to be, and we want to be able to have the full range for them to be able to make those decisions yeah. and have that full range of, of things to pick from. So it's been great. Another thing that kind of falls from that is to watch everybody. These folks come from Houston, where there is no like topography like we see here, and they're at sea level. And so when they come out here and they feel the difference in the, the heat and the cold, and they see little critters running around, they see all these different things, and they become absorbed in the landscape and the geology and the biota and everything that's out here. And it's really interesting to watch them become one with the landscape and have a respect and an honor for that. And when they come back next time, they will talk to their colleagues back wherever their home institution is, and they'll kind of push that initiative and that land stewardship perspective. And so when the next crew comes out here, maybe some of the same people may be different. They'll have that same perspective, and we can just continue growing it that way. Well, I'll tell you, for me personally, to supporting you and all the others in this effort to do their research, to you know, to look at all the different science and all these other things, I think this thread between the land use ethic and the space use ethic, so to speak, really is something that we can all just say, hey, nice work. Yeah, so, I think so, too. There are still many, many tests that need to be done on Earth, and we look forward to working more with Jim Skinner back on Babbitt Ranches and all of the folks at USGS and NASA and the many others involved in the future of space travel. Discovery with Babbitt Ranches explores all things cowboy essence in land stewardship, conservation, science, agriculture, recreation, business, and community. On behalf of the Babbitt community, I'm Billy Cardasco.